Good evening, and welcome to the Legal Legal Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law. We thank you for joining us this evening. Early voting is beginning and the 2022 midterm elections are underway. It is anticipated that this election will be extremely contested and contentious. What we are aware of is that you need to vote like you've never done before. But you should be aware of the many different rules, regulations, and protections which govern this election. Joining us to discuss the many voting concerns that you may encounter or have concerns about, Dr. Serena Sebron, the Executive Director of Blueprint North Carolina, and Attorney Jeff Lopetsipito, the Senior Voting Rights Counsel for the Southern Coalition for Social Justice and the coordinator of the North Carolina Election Protection uh, Program. Uh, thanks uh, to both of you for joining us this evening. Thanks so much. Really honored to be with you. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Well, you know, let let let's start because uh, uh, Serena, you you you've been you you've been on, on the program before, and uh, Jeff, this is your first shot uh, at at it. Uh, but just for our audience, could could both of you just kind of uh, explain uh, what it is that uh, your organization do and what your particular role in it uh, is so that they are aware of the expertise that you bring to this uh, discussion. So uh, we'll start with, uh, with Serena. Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, so uh, Blueprint North Carolina is a coalition of over 60 progressive nonprofits and an expanding network of allies working for uh, anti-racist and inclusive democracy in North Carolina. Uh, since 2007, Blueprint has coordinated large-scale voter registration, voter education, uh, and uh, get out the vote efforts. And uh, in more recent times, specifically this year, we have built out a formation uh, to support election protection coordination across the state. So along with 25 groups that are dedicated to democracy, to racial justice, um, and to increasing uh, the, the power of communities, we are, uh, we are holding all facets of poll presence, coordination, um, and supporting the powerful work of our uh, contributing partners to uh, bring a higher level of election protection to our state than has been possible before. Uh, in addition to these efforts, Blueprint supports uh, grassroots community organizations with capacity building. So that's resources, that's tools, that's training um, and technical support. Uh, we have a staff of 23 really talented organizers uh, and capacity builders and are honored to do this work um, across the state of North Carolina. And of Blueprint, I am the executive director. Uh, I've been in this role since 2020 um, and am proud to serve. 
Okay, we're proud to have you uh, there and honored that you would uh, spend your time with us uh, this evening. Uh, now, switching to Jeff, uh, can you uh, give us uh, some background information on the Southern Coalition and uh, your uh, election protection work? Yes, thank you, Irv. Um, so I think the best way to describe it, you know, we we are a group of lawyers, organizers, advocates who uh, endeavor to dismantle systems of oppression in the South. And we do that in a number of ways um, through organizing advocacy and then, of course, our, our litigation docket, which is probably the most uh, prominent. Um, we've been involved for the last decade in, in legal challenges to um, barriers to voting at the at the bowling, uh, ballot box, so the voter ID laws, um, redistricting efforts, um, challenges to the um, voter registration lists through list maintenance um, purge attempts, um, and and then also operating this this election protection, um, the, the 888-hour vote election protection hotline through partnership with Democracy NC and our national partner, the Lawyers Committee, based out of Washington, D.C. Um, I personally have been working this role uh, on the voting rights team for a little over four years. So uh, a couple of, of even year election cycles in there. And um, you know, this year we are um, gearing up with a huge team of volunteers working on the front line of the hotline to answer individual voters uh, questions or uh, address their concerns as they come in in real time across the state of North Carolina with North Carolina specific volunteers. And our organization is staffing um, both the, in a supervisory capacity to make sure that there are legal experts providing correct and timely information to voters that call in. And then for those instances uh, and issues that uh, kind of rise to the next level beyond kind of like, where do I vote? How do I vote? Um, we've, we're coordinating a team of, of partners across the state um, to have a rapid response to, to alert authorities when it's necessary, election officials, um, or, or just guide people, but be an advocate for the for the voter, uh, so that they can can have their voice heard. You know, so much, so often it's the case that in these types of contests, everything boils down to to, to partisanship, and we we try and be that advocate advocate for the individual voter to ensure that they can exercise their fundamental right. And that's an excellent point uh, that you ended with, Jeff. Jeff, uh, because uh, both of these uh, efforts are nonpartisan. Uh, and are not designed to uh, further the uh, candidacy of uh, any individual that's running uh, for office, but rather to protect uh, the rights of uh, people who uh, want to vote and encourage them to vote and to help them to understand what it is that they need to do uh, to uh, exercise uh, that uh, right. And we are thankful to uh, both of you for, uh, for your work. Now, this election protection piece has been going on for, for some years. Uh, it's, it's not new uh, in North Carolina, nor is it new uh, around the uh, country. But can uh, can you talk about why there is an enhanced concern about the midterm election? Usually, uh, the midterm elections are kind of slow, drab, uh, unattended uh, affairs but uh, there seemingly is uh, enhanced excitement uh, or concern uh, about this. So can, can you talk about just why is there this uh, concern? And again, we'll just start with uh, Serena. Sure, I, 
I mean, I think that there are two key reasons why we're seeing um, increased effort, increased coordination around election protection this round. Um, the first is, is that we are paying attention actually to some uh, longstanding issues that um, we have not had the capacity perhaps the, the will to address, and that is wide-scale uh, voter intimidation of, of black, in Black communities, specifically rural uh, communities in the eastern part of the state, who have for some years been reporting uh, and challenging uh, voter intimidation. Um, and it, it feels very important in a time when we're uh, when we are addressing a, a national crisis in democracy, to also name that our our local um, uh, neighbors have been have been reporting a crisis in democracy for some decades now. So I just want to I want to start there. The other thing that I'll name is that I think that we are in a time where at least nationally uh, voters are more concerned about uh, the attacks on democracy about protecting democracy um, as an issue um, and as a, as a practice than, than before. And I'm saying issue because I'm paying attention to the, the polls that say that, that what is going to bring people out um, this year in, in numbers um, uh, that are somewhat unprecedented is, is the specific concern to vote because democracy is itself on the ballot. Um, and so I think that is very important. Um, and although this is not a new crisis, since the insurrection, um, we have been uh, more aware, more aware than ever about the uh, closeness of the threats to our system of governance. Um, and, and to be clear, the um, the importance of elections and democracy sits inside of what, what appears to be a culture war um, uh, that is also uh, really ramping up questions about values. What do we believe in? How do we believe that we should be governed or not? Um, and who are we as a country? And so I think all of that is leading right back to every county in this state um, where uh, you know people will show up um, on election day where votes will need to be counted. Well, hopefully they'll show up on early voting, early voting, uh, as well as election day where votes will be counted and where we expect the same kinds of challenges that we're seeing nationally to happen right here in North Carolina. Okay, Jeff, you want to add to that? <clears throat> yeah, I, mean, I think Serena hit on, on all those, those um, broad and national points. Uh, I can kind of bring it down to uh, slightly uh, more more local and nuanced level as it relates to the administration of elections and and I think now more than ever and again I think that the the uh, starting place for this was the 2020 election you have an increased attention and interest in the way in which elections are run um, you know following the 2020 election we saw challenges across the state um, about uh, Perpetuating this idea of that the election was stolen, you know, that these big lie, uh, uh, fraud type allegations that have never been substantiated, and again, it went against uh, both part political affiliations uh, uh, monitoring and and operating the the election mechanisms in, in states across the U.S. So I think there's an increased interest um, about the manner in which elections are run, 
And that has created a, um, a scenario where there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation about the way in which elections are administered and who, who runs them and, and how the ballots are counted. Um, so that increased scrutiny and intensity it's sort of the same way that, you know, 15 years ago, I think you asked somebody on the street, you know, if they knew what gerrymandering or redistricting was, and they, they'd be like, I don't really know what that term is. But I think in this past uh, election uh, census with redistricting, there was just a lot more uh, awareness and interest in that process. And so I think we're seeing that in 2022. Um, and the the attention that uh, election boards are, are receiving, the attention that um, poll workers are receiving, um, they're becoming household names in certain states. Uh, and this, this very technical administrative position that nobody would have ever thought to know about in prior years. And a lot of that stems from 2020. So um, because that is part of our national discourse now and the concerns, you know, sort of like after the, the the hanging chads in Florida, um, it, just so much more discussion about it and what it means and how it works. And because it is, a, you know, we'll get into this, I'm sure in this conversation, it is a complicated process and there are a lot of technical rules. Um, it creates the opportunity for um, misinformation and disinformation to kind of stir up uh, emotions about what's happening. And, and is this, you know, are the, is the result that we're actually seeing on election day or actually when, when certification is completed a couple of days thereafter. Is that the real the real result? Well, Jeff, let me let me just kind of just circle back to, to you to to explain uh, to our audience exactly what is election uh, protection and how does it work? Sure. So there's there's many aspects to it. And um, in North Carolina, um, I think the the starting place I want to say is the the nonpartisan North Carolina Election Protection Hotline, uh, which can be reached at 888 Our Vote or at the national number um, 866 Our Vote, uh, which allows any voter to call in, speak to somebody in real time, describe the situation that they're dealing with. It could be as simple as where do I vote? When are the polls open? What do I need to bring? Um, or more serious circumstances, which we've, we've certainly heard about um, while working the hotline um, relating to uh, somebody's out, outside the poll is preventing me from getting in, uh, the poll workers giving me wrong information about how, how to cast my ballot or what my options are, um, somebody's following me around the polling place on the inside, um, you know, an election observer. Uh, all of those types of issues um, can be brought to the attention of the hotline, and then a couple of different things can happen. Um, part of the election protection team includes uh, a poll presence aspect that a lot of our our, um, our state partners are are running. I don't want to start naming them because I'm sure I'll leave somebody out. But what that actually means is there are people on site that you can ask questions to with some level of, of um, technical expertise about the voting process. And if you and if they don't know the answer there, you can then call the hotline and get somebody on the phone to to walk through that process for you um, at that time. So. Through that, uh, the hotline, through the poll presence uh, at the various precincts and early voting sites across the state, uh, voters have a have an ally, have an advocate, so that they can be sure that their vote is, is counting. I mean, this is layered on top of what the the state board of elections and the hundred different county boards of elections uh, operates as well. Um, but as we all know, and has been even more so the case in, in this up this year, again, with all that scrutiny on, on election administration, 
Um, they are very understaffed, they are very overworked, and they don't necessarily have this infrastructure or resource set up to um, address the concerns, the real-time concerns of voters throughout the state. Um, the election protection also addresses some of the misinformation and disinformation that we're talking about. Um, and it seeks to uh, you know, provide resources from the voter registration stage, which can happen you know, uh, months ago, weeks ago, all the way through the certification of the, of the results, which happens post-election day, post-Canvas, um, and thereafter. Um, and so that's the, you know, what, what, what will be in place for this upcoming cycle. It's been in place for, I think, over, coming on a decade at least. Um, and I know that Lawyers Committee runs this, this their, their national hotline across the entire US, um, and that's existed for even longer than that. Um, but it is North Carolina folks, addressing North Carolina uh, individual voters' questions um, with that expertise to provide guidance um, when, when people really need it. Okay. For, for our audience, this is the uh, Legal Eagle re Review. And uh, we are speaking with uh, two experts in uh, the uh, area of uh, election law, talking about voting rights and election protection during the uh, midterm uh, elections which are coming up, uh, which are underway really, uh, as we uh, speak. We're going to take our break. Uh, right now, I want you to uh, stay with us, and we will be right back. North Carolina Central University School of Law was founded in 1939 to provide opportunities for African-American students to become lawyers. Embracing our heritage, the mission of NCCU Law is to provide a quality, personalized, practice-oriented, and affordable education to historically underrepresented students from diverse backgrounds to increase diversity in the legal profession. We empower our graduates to become highly competent and socially responsible lawyers and leaders committed to public service and to meeting the needs of underserved communities. NCCU Law is excited to announce the creation of the NCCU Technology Law and Policy Center, made possible by the generous pledge of $5 million by Intel Corporation. The mission of the NCCU Technology Law and Policy Center is to produce technology-conscious lawyers who will use technology in alignment with the law school's mission to one, facilitate the efficient, effective, and ethical practice of law, and two, increase the access of legal information and services to underserved communities. You can learn more about the Technology Law and Policy Center by visiting the NCCU Law website. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Legal Review. And, uh, thank you so very much for staying with us as we continue this uh, discussion on uh, voting rights and uh, election uh, protection. As you know, uh, we are at the beginning of the uh, 2022 uh, midterm uh, elections, and uh, there are a lot of issues and, uh, and concerns uh, that uh, people have. And we're going to get into the, uh, the meat of uh, this uh, effort. So let me just start uh, back with, uh, with Serena. Uh, 
can can you just describe to to our audience uh, who can vote and what do they need to do uh, to be in a position to vote? Uh, well, North Carolinians uh, over the age of 18, uh, 18 and up, can vote, uh, and they can um, certainly come out to uh, any polling place to do so during early voting. They're also able to register same day, so every day of early voting, you can uh, still get registered if you have not yet done so. Um, there are many opportunities to do that, any polling place. You can also uh, check in with your county board of election if you have any uh, difficulty locating where you want to go, where you need to go. I would encourage you to do that through the state board of elections uh, website as well. Um, a wealth of information can be found there. Uh, and if there's uh, any difficulty accessing that information, that 1-888-R-VOTE in, uh, uh, hotline is also a place uh, if you are not able to access that information otherwise. So that is uh, who, where, and how one can vote. And probably Jeff can get even more specific. Yeah. Sure, yeah. So, uh, right, U.S. citizen, resident of North Carolina, uh, 18 by election day for a general election, and then not otherwise disqualified. And, and the one thing I would like to lift up um, uh, a big win from our friends at, at Forward Justice, uh, another litigating uh, group in North Carolina. Um, there is a large um, number of, of individuals who, because of their, their, their uh, legal victory, now have the opportunity to vote in this election cycle when they previously did not um, because of a constitutional challenge to a law that was disenfranchising um, individuals who had uh, a felony conviction in their past. So if you are, um, let me get this right, because it is, again, these, these rules can be technical. Um, so long as you are not currently in jail or prison serving a felony conviction, a sentence from a felony conviction, you can, you're still eligible to vote, register to vote and vote. So that means if you're on parole or probation um, or some sort of a, a you know, extended release type situation. Um, under prior to this case, you were not eligible to vote until you completed all those uh, aspects of your sentence, including if you have any outstanding fines or fees related to that sentence, um, which often left people in a disenfranchised uh, for the lifetime. Because as we all know, the the criminal justice system, in addition to have, ask, asking you to serve time, will then uh, essentially make you pay for it with fines and fees. So this judgment, which is still being, will be considered by the North Carolina Supreme Court um, probably early 2023, allows for, for the fact that individuals, as long as they're no longer incarcerated in prison or jail on that felony sentence conviction, um, they are now eligible. I think that number is around 56,000 uh, newly uh, enfranchised, potentially enfranchised individuals. Yeah, Jeff, you know, that raises a question. So you've mentioned disinformation and misinformation, and Serena has mentioned voter intimidation, and all of the issues surrounding whether those who um, have been previously incarcerated, you know, th there is fear that people are trying to instill so that folks will not vote 
for fear of violating the law. Can you talk about how this misinformation specifically surrounding felony convictions is depressing the vote? Yeah, this is, I mean, even before this decision, this has been an issue. So we've seen in the North Carolina legislature uh, efforts to um, essentially force um, more aggressive cross-checking of, of voter lists against other <clears throat> lists that are developed through just the administration of government, like jury jury pool lists and things of that nature, to try and um, identify individuals who might at some point in time have been ineligible, but then you know moving forward are then become eligible. We saw this in terms of the subpoenas that were issued by various U.S. attorneys in North Carolina in coordination with uh, ICE back in. I want to say that was, um, I think that was in 2020. We saw then that the, you know, this multi-year, multi-million dollar investigation resulted in uh, a dozen or so prosecutions that were announced uh, coincidentally around, you know, in the lead up to an upcoming uh, statewide election. Um, but what you see when you look at those cases, it's often and almost always the case. And we, and we saw this in, in a case that we litigated with individuals charged for voting um, while ineligible because of a felony conviction in Alamance County, that it is it is almost always the case that those individuals had no idea that they were ineligible, that they received information from their parole officer, from county board of election staff, from poll workers on election day, that they were actually eligible um, and they, they made a mistake. And because of the laws that, that are on the books, that a mistake that you would think would be like, oh, okay, well, we'll of course strike the vote. Um, and now we know better for next time results in extreme penalties, um, risk of years of imprisonment and, and things of that nature. So because the, the, the hammer out there is so fierce and, um, and it's so easy because of sort of the complicated nature of, of the voting rules to make a mistake, I think people rightfully do that cost assessment in their head. I mean, so much about voting is, is weighing the, 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 the pros and the cons and weighing the costs and benefits of can I get out to the polls? Is there going to be a huge line? Can I get out? Can I drop my kids off? Can I get get off from work? All that type of things. So if you add this threat of potential prosecution, even if you fully believe that you're eligible and have no reason to doubt it, I mean, I think that is um, serious and legitimate. And I think that's the that's the reason we hear so much about um, voter prosecutions um, in in this, this space and you know the voter prosecution task force that's, that's happening in Florida and right now. Um, the increased efforts to, to fund investigations, but not to actually fund efforts to educate the populace or get out the vote or just making voting easier. Um, so it, it's a serious concern. And I know that speaking with, with folks that are helping these newly enfranchised individuals get registered to vote um, and to vote that they, they have, they're scared. I mean, they some of the forms haven't even been updated yet to, uh, to utilize the new language based on the court cases. And um, you know, you do everything you can to get your life back on track. And now you're like, well, I of course I want to be a part of the political process. Of course I want to have my voice heard. But the risk of this um, can be very serious when you have uh, all this disinformation and misinformation about who is eligible to vote and who isn't eligible to vote. Um, so for folks sort of in that situation, um, you can call the hotline. There's a specific hotline for individuals who were have a prior criminal justice interaction 
those types of convictions and they can give one-on-one -on -one guidance. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, that's, it, it's a legitimate, legitimate issue uh, worth, worth discussion. So Raina, you had mentioned that, um, you said that there were two reasons why we're seeing this increased effort. And one of the reasons that you mentioned was this widespread intimidation that we have seen in the past and we're continuing to see. And Jeff's point about, um, you know, voter prosecution is of course a form of voter intimidation. Can you talk about other types of voter intimidation that we're seeing? Sure. Um, <clears throat> and lifting up again the efforts of our partners in the Election Protection Coalition, uh, along with groups like Democracy North Carolina, Disability Rights North Carolina, um, the ACLU, uh, SDSJ, Forward Justice, and the NAACP, and others. And I, I, I apologize if I didn't get your name, but there are 25 groups that are participating. And the collaboration between them has produced this list of red flags for intimidation. Um, so I'm happy to share uh, what, what folks should look for in terms, in terms of intimidation at the polls. So the definition of, in, of intimidation uh, is any efforts to threaten, to coerce a person for the purpose of interfering with the person's right to vote. Uh, it's also illegal to intimidate threaten or coerce a person for voting, uh, registering to vote, or urging or aiding anyone to vote or to register to vote. And things that you might want to, to keep an eye out in particular for are any, of course, yelling or harassing a voter, though these are subjective. Um, if, a, if a person has a gun and is using it in a threatening manner, uh, if white supremacist groups or paramilitary groups are on the polling site property or in the vicinity of the polling site, if a person is asked for voter ID, if a person is denied the ability to vote because they are on probation or parole or owe fines, fees, or restitution, as Jeff was just discussing, uh, a person's eligibility, uh, residency, registration is challenged and they're not able to cast a ballot, that would also be intimidation. Uh, along with uh, partisan observers interfering with people's ability to vote, uh, aggressive electioneering, specifically within uh, the, the, the buffer zone of a, of a polling place, uh, hate symbols, or any harassment intimidation of poll monitors uh, and observers. Also accusations of voter fraud, um, specifically those that have uh, racial or uh, ethnic origin uh, motivated questions, things like that would certainly constitute intimidation, uh, as well as aggressively approaching a voter's vehicle, uh, you know, as someone's pulling in or writing down someone's license plate, those are intimidating acts. Um, and then lastly, harassing or aggressively uh, questioning them about what qualifies them to vote. Are they, are they allowed to vote? All of those are uh, of forms of voter intimidation. Um, and we are uh, asking that if folks see any of those things, observe any of those at the polling places on early voting or on election day, they call that 1-888-R-VOTE hotline. It's again, 1-888-R-VOTE. Very important that if you observe those things happening, um, that you go ahead and pick up the phone. In a year like this one, a cycle like this one, it actually is going to take all of us. It actually is going to take 
all of us to protect um, the, the very uh, hard won um, right to vote that we enjoy. Uh, so please keep an eye out for those things. We are looking for them. Yeah, Serena, you, you, you mentioned uh, voter ID. And uh, in the uh, last election, uh, there was a constitutional amendment uh, that uh, was passed that mandated uh, voter ID. What what happened with that? Because you identified that as a form of of uh, intimidation uh, that uh, occurred. Yes, um, and I'm going to pass to Jeff in just a moment for a, for a thorough legal explanation of all of it. But but what I can say is that you do not need to have a voter ID to vote in this election cycle, um, and that is critical just to understand. Every single one of us should know that if we are asked, if we see or hear people being asked for voter ID in order to vote this cycle, um, that that is uh, that is intimidation. And Jeff, I'm sure you can you can say more about the the uh, timeline and trajectory of that piece. Yeah, certainly. So um, that that law was passed, or the constitutional amendment was put on the ballot in 2018, uh, passed with about a 55 percent uh, vote in approval of those who, who turned out and voted. And there were legal challenges to it, uh, to the implementing legislation, um, which set certain parameters for, for voter ID in the state of North Carolina. So um, it said that certain types of, you know, driver's licenses, certain types of federal IDs, certain types of student and employee IDs were el eligible to be used as qualifying ID, and then certain other types were not. Um, so there are legal challenges brought by my office at the SCSJ um, in state court and by uh, for justice in, in federal court. And both of those cases have been uh, vigorously litigated um, through current day. So uh, we were, my office myself actually was, was arguing before the North Carolina Supreme Court um, earlier this month to try to affirm the a trial court decision that found that the voter ID implementing law was was passed in part because of uh, intentional discrimination against African-American voters. Um, so that was after a three week trial uh, put on over 20 witnesses in front of a three judge panel. Um, that three judge panel ruled in a, in a very lengthy, comprehensive, uh, over 100 page opinion that because of the circumstances surrounding the passage of that law, uh, that law needed to be struck down as a violation of the Equal Protection Clause in North Carolina. Um, so we're hoping for, for a good result from, from the Supreme Court. Uh, we don't know when that will come down, um, hopefully soon. But for this election cycle, the, the point I want to make clear for all the listeners out there is that uh, you are not required to present a photo voter ID when you go to the polls or when you vote by mail. There are some small exceptions to the ID requirement, um, especially as it relates to early voting, which which Serena noted and I, I will second, I, we really encourage folks to utilize that early voting process in North Carolina. Um, if you are registering for the first time at an early voting site, so say you moved uh, to a new county from the last election and you haven't yet had a time to register and you missed the registration deadline, which was last Friday. So you're registering for the first time, same day registration, you will be asked to provide a document that verifies your address. So your your some some something that verifies that you actually live where you're saying you're living on your voter registration form. But it doesn't have to be a specific uh, photographic ID. It can be a utility bill, a bank statement, um, a, a rental agreement, 
Um, there's a list uh, under a federal law uh, called the Help America Vote Act that sets forth these types of documents that can be used to establish your address. Um, so that is an instance where you might be asked for some sort of something other than yourself and your signature uh, to verify where you live. But other than that, yeah, there's no there's no requirement for photo photo voter photo ID in this election cycle. And the constitutional amendment remains currently. That is also being uh, challenged um, in state court. Um, so the rules might be different in 2023, and that's the thing. The voting right voting rules in North Carolina they are constantly changing. But for this election cycle, the important takeaway: uh, no photo voter ID is required. Yeah, one of the other things that we've already kind of touched upon is, um, you know, just the all of the litigation that's going on and the changes that are going on and, and you know, voters are confused about what they can and cannot do. We're going to have to take a quick break, but when we come back, if you two can share again um, places where people can go to get that information. Um, so we've got folks who are listening to the show this evening and they may have questions, their family members may have questions, their friends may have questions. And uh, Jeff, as you just noted, things may change in 2023. And so we've got this constant evolution of the rules that exist. And it's really important that folks know where it is that they can go to get that information. But we're gonna take a quick break. You are listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. And we have with us here in our studio, Dr. Serena Sebring, she is the Executive Director of Blueprint North Carolina, and an attorney, Jeff Loprobito, he is the Senior Voting Rights Counsel for the Southern Coalition for Social Justice and the Coordinator for the North Carolina Election Protection Program. We will be right back. We hope you stay with us. Hello, my name is Brittany Burks, and I'm currently a 2L at the North Carolina Central University School of Law, and this is your Community Spotlight. The North Carolina Central University School of Law offers four certificate programs. Upon completion of the specified requirements, law students may earn a certificate in civil rights and constitutional law, dispute resolution, tax law, or justice in the practice of law. As a part of the Eagle Promise, NCCU School of Law offers our students four outcomes upon graduation. Completing a degree program on time, becoming socially and globally engaged, proving leadership, and graduating market ready. More information about any law degree program is at 919-530-6610. My name is Brittany Burks with the Legal Eagle Review. Thank you for listening. back. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking this hour about early voting, which is about to start here in North Carolina. We have with us as our guest, Dr. Serena Sebring. She is the Executive Director of Blueprint North Carolina, 
and attorney Jeff Lopervito. He is the Senior Voting Rights Counsel for the Southern Coalition for Social Justice. And right before the break, we were talking about all of the changes that, that will happen, you know, related to the rules of voting. You know, this is something I try to you know, stay abreast of, and, and even I can get confused. Um, and so what can you two share with our listeners about, and you've mentioned, of course, the election protection hotline, you've mentioned the State Board of Elections website. Um, are there any other places that folks can go to get like a list of all of the important rules that relate to voting and early voting? So I would I would also recommend that folks visit the website um, of our partners, Democracy North Carolina, ncvoter.org. Um, there are many uh, you know helpful resources there. I think uh, and, and really accessible information about how you can vote, what's going to be on your ballot, uh, and where you can find more specific information if not there. So that's another really high quality resource. It's ncvoter.org. Yeah. Well, let me, you know, because, you know, we've talked about, uh, you know, people getting uh, out for early voting and then on the election day. Can, can the two of you kind of explain what is the difference in voting during early voting and voting on election day? Uh, if the rules are the same, different, how are people uh, impacted uh, depending on when they decide? That, uh, that they want to uh, they want to vote. Uh, Jeff, you want to start us off? Yeah, I, I'd love to. So, uh, in North Carolina, uh, in addition to mail-in ballots, we have two different types of in-person voting. We have the early voting period, which is 17 days um, of early voting. For, so this cycle, it's October 20th to November 5th. Uh, that's this Thursday, October 20th to November 5th, which is a Saturday, ending at 3 p.m. Um, and in that time period, the, the big differences from uh, election day voting is that it's not going to be your local precinct. So a lot of people kind of have the place that they've been, they vote on election day, it might be like a school or a government building kind of right down the street from their home or nearby. The early voting is at different centralized locations across uh, your county. And, and you can find that the specific uh um, sites and hours of operation on the State Board of Elections webpage or your County Board of Elections webpage, or of course, call the 888 Hour Vote Hotline and we can pull that information up for you. Um, so the location is going to be different. Uh, the process is a little bit different because you do have the option, as I mentioned before, to modify your registration or update it or submit a new registration if you've moved and haven't previously uh, done so. In North Carolina, you do need to be registered uh, to vote, to be able to vote. So if you have not registered to vote uh, by election day and you go in person to vote, you will not be eligible to cast a ballot that counts. Um, if you happen that that same circumstance happens on election during the early voting period, uh, you, you, you'll, you should be able to vote if you otherwise meet the eligibility requirements. So we, you know, we, we talked a little bit about uh, some barriers to, to voting and, and voter intimidation and um, you know misinformation, disinformation, um, and those are I think our rightful concerns this year. But what we have found through our survey of the the calls we received in 2020, one of the biggest barriers to an individual getting the having the ability to cast their ballot is sort of just the administrative 
mechanism that is voting, like ensuring that their voter registration is current and getting there at a time when they can cast their vote. So the best thing you can do um, if you're concerned about any of that, if you have, you don't you know, if you've moved and you're not sure if you if your registration is updated, if you had a name change, if any other thing like that, if you vote in that early voting period, you're going to have some options. If you're, yeah, you might call the hotline and ask, like, what, what can I do with this situation? I just moved and I forgot to update my registration. In the early voting period, you have some options. On election day, your options might be limited and you might have to just go home and, and start making plans for the next election cycle. So we really encourage folks to use that early voting period. Um, the, the information about where to vote is uh, available at the hotline or at the state board or county board of elections. Um, and you, you'll often find that the, you know, depending where you live, uh, it might be a shorter line. It might just be an easier process. Well, Serena, what, what happens if you, if you can't get to the poll uh, or you don't want to go to a polling site uh, to, uh, to vote? Uh, what, what, what can you do? Yes, well, you can still vote um, absentee um, and you can find a link to request your absentee ballot at either the state board website or this ncvoter.org. Uh, there is a deadline coming up for that though. Jeff, do you know offhand what the deadline is to request that? So you must request your ballot by November 1st. November 1, that's right, yeah. by November 1. So if you don't want to go to the polls, you don't want to go to early voting or uh, on election day, or if you know you won't be able to do so, um, you can vote absentee, but you have to request that absentee ballot by November 1st. That's the decision to make now um, and go ahead and get that request in. And, and I do know that when you're voting by absentee ballot, there are some requirements uh, that must be uh, uh, adhered to that's different than when you actually go to the uh, polling site. So can, can one of you just kind of explain uh, what it is that's required to vote uh, by mail? Yeah, I can take that one. So uh, I, I do want to first stress that the, the ballot request deadline is November 1st. Do not wait till November 1st. <laughs> you're, you're hoping for lots of things to go right with the mail system, with the processing of your request, if you're waiting until the very last day, because think about it, you have to submit the paper by November 1st. It has to be processed. Your ballot has to come back to you through the mail. You have to fill it out and, and submit it back through the mail or bring it in person all before um, November 8th, which is election day. Or if you get it, um, Postmark by November 8th, it can arrive by November 14th. Um, but you know, you're you're there's some risk there. Uh, but to vote by mail, so in North Carolina, anybody can vote by mail um, through an absentee ballot. There's not, uh, you know, some states you have to have a certain set of circumstances to be eligible for that. That's not the case in North Carolina. Um, you need to submit an absentee ballot request form. That's the first step, which you can do online or with a written document submitted, or don't, you can even go to your county board and, and request it in person. Um, you'll then get your ballot. And uh, this is different from 2020 because there were some uh, modified rules due to COVID at the time. You are required to have two witnesses or a notary sign your, your ballot envelope. So two witnesses need to watch you execute your, your ballot uh, sufficiently distant so that they're not seeing who you who you, uh, you mark for, but see that you, the voter, mark the ballot, you step it in the envelope, they have to sign, 
Um, and then you have to sign attesting to the fact that you signed your ballot and that you are who you are and that you're eligible. Um, and then it needs to be returned by uh, a certain deadline in a certain manner. Um, the deadline, like I mentioned, is, is November 8th. Uh, or if it's if it if it is submitted after November 8th, it has to be postmarked by November 8th, but arrived by November 14th. Um, you're also eligible to bring in your signed executed ballot in the envelope and turn it in at any early voting site or at the county board of elections uh, at any point in time when those uh, places are, are accepting ballots. Uh, you can't do that on election day. You can't bring it to your local precinct. Um, and, uh, and that's that's sort of, I could, <laughs> I could go on and on about the minutia of absentee ballot voting, but those are the big things. You gotta request it by a certain deadline, get two witnesses, return it by a certain deadline. Um, and leave yourself sufficient time to, to work through the process. If you request a ballot and then decide, you know what, I, I actually wanna vote in person instead, um, tear it up and, and just go vote in person. Just, you can't, you can't vote twice, but you don't have to use the ballot you requested if you decide you wanna vote in person. Or... Can you talk about situations where people have to use a provisional ballot? Yeah, I'm happy to take that one too. So the, Provisional ballot, that's, it's basically, you can think of it as fail-safe voting, um, and it can come up in a number of ways, but usually there's there's some sort of issue with your eligibility to vote, your eligibility to vote in a certain place, like the precinct that you're presenting at, your eligibility to vote a certain ballot. This is more in the primary, like if your party affiliation says one thing, but you, you thought it should say the other. Um, and what the provisional ballot allows you to do is cast a ballot when you're there um, and have it reviewed um, by the, the County Board of Elections during the canvas process um, to see if there's a way that the ballot should count. So if so the common, most common scenario is somebody shows up at their local polling precinct where they voted years after year after year after year and their name isn't on the polls, isn't on the rolls, excuse me. And they're like, well, I don't know why that is. I, I've voted here every year, why aren't I, why aren't I on the rolls? Sometimes it could be a case of the, the, the precincts have shifted because of, you know, we just had this redistricting draw in, in 2021 um, and they might be now um, in a different precinct. It could be the case that they updated the registration through the DMV and for whatever reason, the data wasn't sent to the state board in time. So it's not showing up at the county board level. Uh, it could just be that they, you have a common name and the, and the poll worker looked it up and it, and it suggests that you voted already, but it was actually, um, you know, your father with the same name who's a senior and they didn't mark it right, or somebody in your community that has a similar name and, and they, they inadvertently um, didn't, didn't note it down correctly. The provisional process will allow the county staff to do additional research to see if, if somewhere in the mechanism there, were, there was a mistake and, and that your ballot should count, um, or it gives you time to present information that, uh, additional information that may have been missing from your original voter registration document. So you can actually bring in information um, before the, the canvas concludes that will allow your ballot to cast. Um, no one should be turned away from voting a, a provisional ballot by that, that's guidance given to poll workers if they believe they're eligible. Um, and you know, on election day, if there's no other uh, good option for an individual, that's often what we recommend. Um, because there, there have been many instances where uh, because of, you know, list maintenance procedures because of, of the DMV data link, because of just administrative typographical errors, somebody 
when they present isn't allowed to vote, but their vote is ultimately counted. And we should emphasize that, you know, it, it's always best to be able to vote with, with an actual ballot, not the provisional, which underscores your point, Jeff, about doing it during, during the early voting period because you've got many more options. And if you wait until election day and there's some administrative issue, you may have no choice but to use a provisional ballot. But that is not um, giving you oftentimes the full opportunity to exercise the right to vote. Um, both of you have talked about the many volunteers who are working to ensure that uh, people who have questions when they go to vote have answers. And so can you both just talk a little bit about those who are on the hotline, who are like manning those, those phones, and who are the people who are on site who are there to provide expertise to folks who have questions? Sure, I can start off just with the poll presence, like who's at the polls specifically, and then uh, we'll, we'll pass to Jeff to talk about the hotline. Um, so in North Carolina, there are several groups that are moving um, large scale uh, poll presence programs. And what I mean when I say poll presence is that they will have people physically there to support uh, voters who, uh, or those who want to vote with questions. Uh, some of them will be providing uh, PPE masks, uh, uh, as well as um, information about the process of voting. Um, and those folks can, uh, can be identified usually by uh, various colored t-shirts. So look for an orange shirt, look for a yellow shirt, look for a black shirt uh, and a green shirt. And all of those t-shirts will tell you, this person can help me if I have a question. Um, and uh, and I think it's important to note that there are some, uh, some uh, specific uh, uh, voters who may require additional in, uh, assistance inside the polling place. So for folks with disabilities, um, there is also additional assistance that can be offered, nonpartisan voter assistance that can be offered uh, inside the polling place. But outside, I just want to give a shout out to specifically Blueprint's uh, poll presence program. Uh, we are for the second time running a program called Power Protection and Encouragement at the polls. With over 80 partners, we are holding events day long, all through early voting and on election day, where you can find not just information, PPE and water, but actually DJs, yoga, uh, line dancing, um, and community events, some food trucks, things like that, um, because we believe that uh, you know, every day of election, of early voting and on election day should be one that is welcoming to people who come out to vote, should be one where our communities are present uh, and assist each other uh, in making our community decisions through this process. So um, shout out to the power protection and encouragement folks if you're listening. Um, and uh, there's a lot of assistance that's available even before you call the hotline. And I know Jeff's about to tell us what's available on the hotline. Yeah, so the, the hotline um, uh, is staffed by trained, what, what do we call ourselves? <laughs> trained uh, voter experts who all have a legal, some sort of legal background. So it's retired attorneys, attorneys, law students, paralegals who go through a series of trainings uh, led by uh, Demency, my organization, SCSJ and, and Lawyers Committee. Um, 
and and so many of them have been doing this for years. It's, it's one of my favorite times of year working with these these super excited, um, you know, diehard hotline volunteers who who really make it. Uh, you know, they're they're squeezing this in um, in between their their day jobs um, or or other activities to to help voters, and it's a really rewarding experience. And um, you know, the, the goal is to give the best uh, real time advice and guidance to voters out, out uh, do, you know, doing their thing out there. So um, that, that's who staffs the, the front line of the hotline. That's who you're going to be talking to. And then behind them is uh, basically all the attorneys at SDSJ um, are, are working to make sure that the quality control is, is top notch and that when there are issues that require um, some additional consideration, additional work that we can uh, send that over to uh, the team of um, attorneys and organizers, communication experts to, to generate the appropriate response to, to you know, system-wide issues or issues that might impact more than just an individual voter that we can give the, the appropriate response um, and can sometimes lead to litigation um, that uh, impacts the way that, that voting is, is done in North Carolina, that impacts the hours in which polling places are open. Um, that, that has happened um, as recently as uh, I think that 2020 and, and, and more notice, notably in 2016. All right. Well, well, we are out of time, but we want to thank you both for this wonderful information as we all gear up for early voting. We have with us here in our studio, Dr. Serena Sebring. She is the executive director of Blueprint North Carolina and attorney Jeff Lopervito. He is the Senior Voting Rights Counsel for the Southern Coalition for Social Justice and the coordinator for the North Carolina Voter Election Protection. And of course, we'd like to thank you, our listening audience, for spending your Sunday evening with us. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email. You can reach us at LegalEagleReview at nccu.edu. And if you ever miss this show on Sunday, you can find the show on our Legal Eagle Review podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next week, stay informed, engaged, healthy, and safe.